Well, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the New Ground Life and Leadership Podcast. It's a great privilege today to be joined by David Devinish. Uh, David, before working or before being involved in full-time ministry, I should say, David worked as a civil servant and in international banking and was part of the first UN working party looking at the problem of debt in developing countries. Alongside this, he planted Woodside Church in Bedford and served as part of the apostolic leadership team of New Frontiers, as part of which he became involved in the year 2000 working in the Russian-speaking world, which involved then laying foundations in churches and training leaders, a work which has grown to include over 150 churches to date. As well as this, David has overseen New Frontiers church planting efforts in the part of the world known as the 1040 window, which includes much of Northern Africa, Southern and Eastern Asia. And David has also led the Catalyst family of churches within New Frontiers, something that he handed over to Simon Holly, who's been on the podcast back in 2017. He handed on Catalyst's leadership. And David is the author of several books, including Demolishing Strongholds, What on Earth is the Church for?, Fathering Leaders, Motivating Mission, a book about apostolic ministry and Succession or Multiplication, a book about transitioning a movement to next generation leadership. David Devinish, what a privilege and honour it is to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. That's quite, it's quite an introduction. A lot of that I took from books and your your website, things that you've done. I was going to say, you did pretty well in getting all that out so quickly, yeah. <laughs> Very, very impressive. And obviously, David, you're, many of us in New Ground and New Frontiers are very familiar with you and you're speaking from things like the yeah. Stoney Conference and the Brighton Leadership Conference and things. Um, but for us in New Ground, we haven't had a chance to connect with you formally like this for some time. So it's a real you know, joy to have you with us. Um, David, why don't you talk, talk to us a bit about the, what you're doing at the moment? Um, Particularly, I think, as I, as I read it in the blurb there, or the introduction, it's quite fascinating, your work among the Russian-speaking world, and particularly the 1040 window, something that no doubt in the last year or so has um, caused, yes, yeah, become even more difficult and complicated given the, the yes. war. So talk to us a little bit yeah. about what you're up to, if that's okay. Yes, I mean, I'm still keeping in touch regularly with uh, um, Russian friends. Um we Scylla and I were supposed to have been there at the time the war broke out, um, but cancelled our flights at the last minute. Um and uh because we've we've it's like a second home. Southern Russia is like a second home. Uh we used to live there three months a year, about five or six years. So uh it was very disappointing not to be able to be there, and of course the uh, tragic events that have happened but we still keep in touch with our friends there but we can't actually visit them at the moment although the the main key leaders did get to our global conference um in cyprus um as far as ukraine is concerned i'm obviously the because most of our churches were in the east they've now fled and either planted in the west of ukraine or our refugees across Europe, and along with Andre Bondarenko, who leads that, I, who's like one of my spiritual sons, who I've been working with since he was a very young man, um, and uh, we did a conference for Ukrainian refugees last September um, uh, to on church planting in Europe. So obviously it's very, very early days for that, but there are things happening already. And things happened as a result of the 2014 war as well, when many fled 
And so churches were planted that are part of our family as a result of that as well. So it's much more complicated. Uh, the Many of the Russian churches are still seeing growth. Others are declining because of people leaving the country. Uh, it depends what sort of area of the country you're mm. in. Yeah, you mentioned the 2014 conflict. It's easy to forget, isn't it, with what's happening at the moment? Yeah. That I know when you talked to Andre and he said this is the second time he's had to um, leave as a result of conflict. Yes, yes that's right. Well, one of the things I used, to, I used to love from things like new, uh, the New Frontiers prayer days was hearing you talk about some of the things that God's doing in the various countries that you're at work in. Talk about the Russian-speaking world. Presumably that's it's beyond just Russia, isn't it? In places like um, Kazakhstan and Tajikistan. I mean, I haven't been. I haven't been um, particularly involved there. Um, we do have a work in Tajikistan, although that's primarily that's Tajik speaking now. Um, and uh, I haven't been. I, we used to go there. I haven't been. Most of my ministry now, is, the responsibility for it has been handed over to others who are serving those churches now. Um, although we sort of fathered it and brought it to. A lot of it to birth so uh and also working in armenia which has been mainly done by martin dunsford but i've been there as leading the team that was serving there um and yeah so it, yes it, it is elsewhere as well yeah, and as we were talking before we, we started recording although you formally retired you said you're still doing 80 percent of what you were doing before although now not getting paid for it <laughs> Yes, eighty percent of my about I spent about eighty percent of the previous time I did on ministry. Yes, so I'm still travelling, and so on. Yeah, Excellent. well, but it's in a role. It's, it's more in a giving advice role uh, rather than taking responsibility for it. Role. Yeah, yeah, lovely. Well, I mean, even in just some of the answers that you you gave and started talking about, there you used the language of fathering, bringing it to bear, so, uh, Andre yeah. being like a spiritual son to you, and in talking in those terms, um, you're starting to introduce the kind of the bulk of what I'd love to spend some time talking about together today, which is to do with the, just the whole subject of spiritual authority, church government, apostolic ministry, yeah. perhaps, um, yeah. and this is this is you know obviously a, a massive area. Um, but spiritual authority, if we were to just take that as a broad term, is something that, well, in recent years at least, there seems to have been a steady, a steady stream, could we say, of bad news from across the Christian world, um, as far yes. as Christian leadership is concerned, from what high-profile abuses to leaders squabbling or divisions over doctrine, and uh, maybe people just bowing to cultural pressures in different places. Uh, I guess as we start to come on to talk about this, I'd love to just get some of your reflections, first of all, on what you think is going on um, across, and it's a broad term, the Christian world or things that you've picked up in the last last few years when it comes to spiritual authority and leadership in the church. Yeah, I mean, the, the sort of movement we were part of, um, I don't just mean New Frontiers, but the other new church streams that started in the 1970s um, and early 80s, part of their role was a restoration of spiritual authority. So, um, because many came out of a more, more, much more democratic church background, where often the leadership team were, or there wasn't a leadership team, it was a single pastor usually, uh, was a bit disempowered and so on. And apostolic ministry was not recognised. 
so uh and in that even in that restoration of spiritual authority which was necessary um even in the early days there was some streams went into abuse of it because it's a very delicate balance which only works if there's genuine relationship and uh servant leadership and although we all believe in those things in principle uh actually working that out in practice has been uh not easy to get that right balance um and if you uh, once you start getting and then of course over the last 10 15 years there's been a move in the church generally i don't mean amongst us particularly although we've all got a danger of it of celebrity pastors celebrity leaders uh people who are so successful that in practice or whatever they may say they become above accountability and that can lead both to moral failure financial failure and abuse of spiritual authority now i don't mean all three in the same person but those those three dangers uh are there when people effectively by taking on this celebrity role which has been one of the curses of the church really in the west and not only in the west actually um in in parts of africa as well um it has uh that celebrity ro uh celebrity pastor and being so big and so um honored it's right to honor one another but people become so honored that in effect accountability is lost and so spiritual authority being exercised without genuine accountability is very dangerous spiritual authority being exercised without practical servant leadership um, or as i would put it i did some teaching on this a few years ago and you can still actually see it on broadcast the that um, uh, that website um on cross-centered servant leadership because you know when paul talks about apostolic ministry he talks about being at the end of the procession um the despised ones it wasn't a celebrity role in the new testament church so all those things um are what i think has contributed to the current crisis it, it, I mean, maybe we'll pick up what you've just said there about um in the, in the new testament church it wasn't a celebrity role although yeah that had to be taught and enforced or restated because there were of course the so-called super apostles who it seems were behaving like celebrities yes they were exactly so um so paul's ministry uh i, I mean i did a whole load of teaching through one and two corinthians on leadership for for our global conference a few years ago and uh it's very what paul was experiencing himself was not a celebrity leadership and what he was then encountering in corinth was that uh in certain churches corinth being one where culturally rhetoric was very much valued um so you have to look at you have to look at all the letters contextually and corinth was a place where the Isthmian games took place and part of those games, not just athletics, but rhetoric contests as well. So rhetoric was massively valued. 
And so when people, these rhetoricians came into Corinth and started accepting payment, which Paul didn't do and all that sort of thing, people ran after that in the same way as they run after celebrity pastors today. And so part of Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians was to counter that. So, yes, it's true that the, it did exist in the early church, but what I really meant was that was not what uh, the, you know, the, the writers of the New Testament intended, James, Peter, Paul, and mm. so on. That's fascinating, that, that idea of the games in Corinth. It's like a mixture of the Edinburgh Festival and the Olympics all, in, all rolled into one, isn't yes, it? it? <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. So, uh, so you have to, that's why they got the super apostles, so-called, got such a hearing in Corinth. Um, and, uh, and Corinth also had some of the wealthier people, you know, compared with many of the other churches, had some wealthy people in there, um, which gave its own problems. And so, uh, yeah. So, so the danger was in the New Testament, which is there for our benefit, so that we counter it when we see it today. The problem is today we haven't countered mm -hmm. it in the in the in the church as a whole, and uh, there's a huge danger for that, and that can lead to an abuse of spiritual authority. Having said that, it can also be, be spiritual authority can also be abused in the small church. So. Um, the high-profile stuff is because of the celebrity pastor, but the danger of what Paul talks about lording it over your faith um, can happen anywhere. There's not genuine accountability. And perhaps that's a, a I mean, as we kind of we'll, we'll come on to talk more about that. But why don't, why don't we talk then about what Christian leadership is supposed to be? Maybe as distinct from leadership more generally or leadership in the world or leadership in business because you know the word leadership we just pick it up and we start using it um as the, you know but there are very different models of what leadership ought to be exactly. like so talk to us a little bit about yeah. what the new testament's vision for leadership ought to be within a church so um the, the word leadership actually in the new testament is not used very much oh there is at the end of hebrews who obey your leaders and then there's the gift of leadership Possibly it's a um, disputed translation in Romans chapter 12. The emphasis much more is on shepherds. Um, trouble is we took the Latin equivalent of the Greek shepherd and made it into a big title, pastor. Uh, um, so uh, anything can be misused in that way. But it was very strongly relational. Leaders in the church were to be like fathers, like mothers, brothers and sisters, um, and uh, they were to lead um, very accountably, recognizing that you know he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. There's that. Um, there was that expending on behalf of the church, recognizing the church is the put. It doesn't belong to us. We you still use that term slight sometimes, don't we? So and so's church. Um, and so leadership was it was it was completely different from anything that had gone before in Israel, largely 
and that was seen in the Greek world. So it was modeling something totally different. Now, of recent years, and I've been in senior management in, in the workplace as well, some of the lessons you learn there can be helpful in the church, you know, just like Paul draws analogies from all sorts of secular life in his writings. So there can be lessons, but it's a totally different model in the end. Um, and so you have spiritual authority because people know you, love you, know you're accountable, trust you. It's, it's a subtle thing. But it's it's given to you in that sense. It's not enforced. That's that's quite critical and key there, I guess. Then there's different types of what well, different types of authority. There's, I know John Maxwell talks about positional authority, where you're just you're given yes. the role. But then there is the higher yeah. form of authority, which is that you you don't need a title. People respond to your presence exactly. by receiving that. Um, and that recovery of spiritual authority, I remember in the early days, I, unfortunately, I, I wasn't a Christian when Stonely was on. And so I, I actually spent a lot of my time as a new Christian listening to the seminars from, from Stonely. But I seem to remember listening to quite a few that talked about spiritual authority and taught it and how to, I don't know, how to, how to model it well, but how to invite people to receive it well, which is different from, say, denominational or hierarchic authority. Exactly. It's... It's different from denominational hierarchic. It's different from positional. It's different from, I talk about external and internal authority. So external is all the trappings you have, the big office, the, you know, the special parking place for the pastor, the, all, all the trappings of, of office, um, a bullying manner sometimes, uh, um, an amazing charisma that sort of gets people to do things they don't really want to do. Um, so that's all external authority. Internal authority is because of your character, your godliness, your trustworthiness, your servant-heartedness, your openness to people even to input you as well as you inputting them, so on. That's internal authority. So it, it's gained through respect rather than through anything else. So, yeah. Yeah, but um, but the, the so churches are governed by elders... And we might say deacons, or certainly led. They play a, a valuable part of leading churches in the in the early church. Yeah. Um, so there is a degree of titled authority, is there not? So how do you get the yes. balance right between those two things? Yes. The role is recognised by a name, whether it's the gift role of Ephesians chapter four, or the local church role of elders and deacons. Although Paul sometimes just uses a co-workers as well so it's it's not as quite as clear-cut as that but yes i agree elders and deacons in a local church um it's always plural but if you're if I, i've said this to eldership sometimes if elders are always saying when they're wanting to bring something to the church as an elder i'm saying to you or something like that you can get now. I, I'm not trying to, you know. Sometimes we have to say the elders have discussed this, and this is what we feel, or the elders and deacons, or the elders and senior leaders in the church, because we don't all use the term deacons, um, have, have, have discussed this, and this is what we feel, and this is what we're saying and recommending. Um, obviously, you would say that, but if you're using elder as a 
constantly using that term rather than being that term. Do you, under, do you understand? It's uh, it's just um, quite significant. It's interesting that in which something I taught at a new ground stroke relational mission conference last year in Malaga. If it, when I went through Philippians, it's interesting that an issue where he's having to deal with division in the leadership, it's the one epistle where he doesn't say Paul the Apostle. It's Paul who was trusted by these people because he was trying to solve a dispute, even though he uses their titles, because he said, and to the elders and deacons. So it's it's just... It's a subtle thing, and it, it, you it, it's pulling all these things together in order to um, live that out. Sorry, I, it, I, I cannot uh, give just a simple sentence about what New Testament leadership is because um, there's so much involved and yet when you read the scriptures you find all those things it's interesting that when jesus actually refers to his authority knowing who he was knowing he was from god and going back to god no all that sort of thing uh which is talking about his position he then washes his disciples feet in that context and so you've got to get all that together somehow and that's why it's it's so hard i guess and that's perhaps why it's also uh open to not misunderstanding but it's like you said you said earlier you used the phrase a delicate balance is required to get this right yes um and so i know in order to try to get this right to systematize or formalize things churches can be tempted to try to create policies and distinctions that nail down everything that they think about certain things um which presumably have a place as well like um i know tim keller talks about the distinction between institution and movement you know in church you need both the formal structures and the kind of dynamic force of movement um but so so what role do you think there are in churches for yeah or maybe perhaps the question is um what things are in place to ensure proper accountability and safety of the church members um, so they're not vulnerable to too much spiritual abuse? Okay, firstly, genuine team, because team, again, sadly, means two different things, at least. So it means a, a team of people who are equal and able to speak to each other, one of whom takes the lead within that context, or it is, forgive me using my hands, but it's leader who has a team mm. and often i mean i got invited by a church i won't say where but a, a big charismatic church to teach on team ministry and there it was a dynamic charismatic leader who was obviously totally in charge but he wanted me to teach on team but i realized what he meant by team was how the people that serve him work you see what i mean and somehow all my teaching on team he received, but he was seeing it through a totally different lens to what I was seeing it. Sorry, that's, I'm making this so complicated, aren't I? But but it is. And so even, so it's genuine accountability within team. It's an atmosphere in the church 
where people can ask genuine questions, can challenge you without being regarded as rebels. Now, some of them may be, but there must be an atmosphere where people can raise good questions without fear. Um, And that team is genuinely accountable to people outside their context as well, which we would see as apostolic ministry. Um, And that must really work because, again, we've one of the weaknesses of sometimes in our history is that apostolic ministry has had a good relationship with the team leader and not with the whole team and not with the whole church. Uh, whereas New Testament relationship of apostolic ministry was primarily with the church as a whole. And uh, though the rest of scripture would support the idea that probably someone led the team, and I don't want to go to a place where we don't have team leaders because the whole, um, although there's no title of lead elder, team leadership is clear through the Bible. Um, But, sorry, that was a slight digression, but uh, that team, the the relationship with the apostolic ministry mustn't just be with... uh, the team leader and see places where I've seen it work well, you know, if there's a major problem within the leadership in the local church, that those who are coming in to deal with it from an apostolic team meet not just all the other elders, or but also meet other influential people within the church, like trustees and, and so on, because that you need that breadth in order to help make a judgment at the end. So that's what I mean by genuine accountability outside the church. I'm not saying that even with all these safeguards, there won't be people to get away with it for a little while, but at least um, you've got something, well, a means of dealing with it uh, if, if it becomes a problem. There's, there's lots of questions in my mind off the back of off the back of that. Uh, maybe just one practical one. I'm raising more questions than I'm answering. Them. That's the idea. We like it. We like it. Um, one kind of just practical one then is how how do you create teams that that function like that what are some practical things that you've seen that you'd encourage how do you what would you say to church or or eldership team leaders um to help foster that environment i'd like to get your reflections on that and yeah maybe we just start with that rather than just throwing lots of questions let's have that one question (laughs) yes i think the two um models of team that I referred to earlier I I think can even be in churches like ours where effectively you have a senior pastor and a team now we use the term senior pastor sometimes for the sake of the world because they you know they need to know who it is so you have to think of something to say and lead elder doesn't really cut it so uh we use it for that reason for that reason but we must never let that influence how we are how we function internally within the team and so a good team leader encourages debate encourages people to to speak respects the different gifts and learns from the different gifts within the team respects the different personalities within the team so one of the things that often give tension in teams and i've had to deal with many times is external and internal processes 
And you might say, come on, what the, oh, well, yeah, many, many of us, I am, are external processes. So we just debate it and throw things out and internal processes go quiet and they want to come back to it in the next meeting by which we've already time, we've already made a decision and they feel disempowered. So you've got to respect all of that uh, because often internal processes will then see a problem that the rest of us just were jabbering on haven't. So, um, so a good a good team leader respects all of that. A good team leader will also respect senior people who are influential outside the formal leadership structures. I don't mean people who've got their own empire to build or are trying to carve out something for themselves, but people who are genuinely genuinely respected mm. within the church, and so. I think we've often lacked women's perspectives as well um, because of our, our right emphasis on male eldership. That means that whatever you call them, deacons, which are open to both men, men and women, you know, that's absolutely crystal clear from scripture. You know, Phoebe, a deaconess of the church in King Crea, it's very clear, deacon of the church in King Crea. Um, and so, uh, and when Paul writes Philippians, he writes to the elders and deacons. So he's actually wanting a a breadth beyond the... So there's an eldership team, always plural, but then there's others as well whose input to that must be respected. Mm. That's a long answer, but you see what I mean? Yeah, I can see what you mean. I think it's almost the, the team leader understanding that their role isn't to be the leader, but to be the one that draws yeah. the team together. And so your <laughs> your job is almost like the coach of the team to bring the best out of the team rather than the striker on the team who's trying to score all the goals and just wants everybody to help them score the goals. Which... Absolutely. Very, very good description. I'll try and use that somewhere, I think. Uh, but um, I think that's very important. And so... It's genuinely first amongst equals um, and is, yes, like the coach and is genuinely showing servant leadership himself. Which I suppose looks like not sweating the small stuff, is it? Putting out the chairs, doing the coffee. Like, yeah, yeah. We all know what serving <laughs> looks like. We often delegate it out or we pay a cleaner to do it for us. But it's those kind of menial yeah. jobs. No, I mean, and, and sometimes you practically have to do that. But there needs to be some way in which you're obviously serving the people. Mm. So so what's the definition of serving then? If uh, if it's not necessarily always doing the, the dirty jobs, because, you know, you've got to sometimes delegate that out. What does genuine service look like? Yeah, well, be, be... Being willing mm. to when necessary. Yeah, without grumbling, I suppose. Um, without grumbling and without thinking, well, it's not my my responsibility. So, And there's yeah. also another sense to which I can see that the, the elders, when they get together to talk, must be, as much as possible, perhaps, trying to represent the views of the, the entire body because they've, they've got leadership that's been given to them by the body. And so, therefore, like you said, they need to regularly be listening to the key key leaders and influencers within their within their church congregation and community so that they're saying this is what this person thinks and this is what this person thinks rather than this is what we four or five of us want to do and also i know that for our church my home church most of the significant prophetic words have come from within the body or from someone from outside sometimes they've come from within the eldership team 
but most have come from outside. Mm. And you know, when I say outside, I mean outside the eldership. Mm. So we must listen to those with prophetic gifts within the church as well when we're seeking direction, as well as prophetic gifts that come into the church. So there's a charismatic dimension to this. It's not just uh, listening to people's opinions, which you got to be, which I agree with, but you've got to also hear hear what God is saying in it, but what God is saying through the body. Yeah, that's really helpful. That's really helpful. Um, I think Mar Marcus Honeyset talks about um, formal leadership structures and informal leadership structures, and it seems that a lot of Christian leadership operates, as you're saying, on the within the informal realms. Um, in that it isn't something that always needs to carry a title to it. So, uh, And yet we would say that although it's not in the Bible, the formal of accountable, accountability structures of, say, the, the legal framework of trustees has a value for churches. They're not just a, a, they're not ju they're not a nuisance for churches, but they are of value. So what would be some of your reflections on the role of trustees and how they can work alongside this without overstepping but never, nevertheless playing a valuable role that the elders have to almost kind of recognize and make sure that they're accountable to as well very important i mean marcus's book is very good on that um because in the informal can lead to abuse i mean so can the formal but it, just because you're doing it informally doesn't mean you're free and not non-positionally doesn't mean you're free of the dangers of abuse of authority. And so, um, and in fact, it can be harder to get at sometimes, um, which I think is one of the points Marcus makes. I'm not, that's not his words, but that's what. Um, so what I would say is that that's in the New Testament too. So for example, when it comes to money, Paul made all these appeals for the poor in Jerusalem, but then he said, and this person you trust and this person you trust, they're the ones looking after it, not me. Okay. So, okay. There wasn't a formal legal structure of trustees, but the principle is in the new Testament. I've never seen that before. That's really interesting. So in effect, you were saying, yeah, you could accuse me of, because, you know, having a delicate relationship with the church in Corinth he was refusing payment, but then they were, then he was asking for these big offerings, you know? So that could have been misunderstood. Uh, but he said, no, no, it's not going to be misunderstood because you trust, and we don't know all their names. Titus was one, but you don't, you, the others, we don't know their names, but they are obviously people known to the church in Corinth who they trusted, who were taking care of the, and I see trustees with a responsibility for the legal and financial commitments of the church in that vein really and obviously the financial is the same as what we can you know we can say to our congregations like paul could say yes but these people that you trust and we trust are making sure that we're not um misusing the funds um and also, but also, they are to be respected men and women who uh, carry a certain amount of weight within the church. Um, and so, I think that's so. Those formal structures, I think, 
can help us as long as it doesn't become the trouble is when our movement started we were reacting to a diaconate which stopped the pastor leading i mean we modified that by one making sure there was team eldership not just a single pastor but the uh, and and so trustees if they're and there are people that need to be totally committed to the vision of the church, totally understand the values that we're working with, so they don't become people who are putting a break on what the Holy Spirit is doing, but they are guarding our public position and ensuring genuine trust, hence the word trustee, I guess. But uh, just do you see what I yeah, mean? That's very good. So I want to go back to a model whereby. Everything has to be voted for, including the colour of the of the decorating and all that sort of stuff. In the and in fact, elders shouldn't get involved with that anyway. You know, I mean, some do, of course, some are gifted that way. But I've always loved to delegate that stuff. But the which is the important, which is the, I mean, part of this is the the importance of elders knowing what they're called to do. And actually, what they're called to do is, in large, yeah. in large part, like a, like a father in a family, their job is to bring out the gifts of the family, not to not to monopolise exactly. on all of the things that the family does. <laughs> exactly. And, if, and not to make every decision. Not to take every initiative. They're there to guard the flock, protect the flock. That's the m- main emphasis. Ensure there's no wrong doctrine in the flock. So Timothy says, and able to teach the flock, Titus says, making sure they're strong enough to stop wrong doctrine coming in. So it's it's a protecting, caring role. And then within that, you function according to your gifting. If you are a brilliant Bible teacher, then you will do more of the Bible teaching. But even that is to equip the church for the work of the ministry, which is what we believed in. That was part of our rallying call, Ephesians 4, is to equip the church for the work of the ministry, which, again, we've perhaps been in danger of losing a little bit very helpful um i mean like you said there's, there's so much to talk about on this i mean the the emphasis on relation the emphasis on relational fr- frameworks and relational structures you'd expect within the within the ancient world context that paul's writing to not only a middle eastern context but um an empire essentially under the roman governance and so it wasn't like it wasn't like the settled you know democracies of the modern west is it with our our structures in place you'd expect that emphasis but then also relationship is the key is the key way that we do have lasting legacy lasting authority because like almost like you've said you've retired formally but your relational and spiritual authority is still there without any formal authority or title um, that is the much more powerful way of leading and shaping and leaving legacy than, than a lot of the other formal frameworks that are there to help us bring structure to the reality that we already recognise through the gifts of the people that are put around us. And for elders to kind of be comfortable, not needing titles, not needing power, but trusting the spirit of God and, and godly character to ultimately help them make the decisions and have the leadership influence that they need. I can see how that can be incredibly valuable and important for churches to get right yeah i agree no the question i kind of wanted to come on to is oversight of churches and accountability it's still something that's very important to to ensure that churches are clear on 
The word overseer, obviously, in the New Testament is the word elder. So in, in the strictest yeah. sense, elders oversee the church. Elders oversee. Yes, they but, do. So, but we often t we often answer the question oversight in terms of yes, but who's overseeing the elders? So that if you know, the do the trustees bring that oversight to the elders and that kind of critical accountability, or is it externally um, with these apostles? But what if the church doesn't really know the apostles? How does that functionally work? So, talk to me a bit about how we should think about oversight and accountability within church. Okay. Um, yes. So yes. The there's two dangers with apostolic ministry or apostolic teams. On the one hand, and I've seen this in the past in the UK when we had regional teams and things like that, uh, where the person on the team responsible for a local church becomes like super pastor to that church. Mm. Okay. So, um, and we misuse the word that Paul says, the care of the churches when he was talking about himself, because that is care. What he was saying is he's anxious because people might be falling away in the churches. It doesn't mean he's responsible for the day-to-day -day care. Mm. In fact, he said very clearly to the church elders in Ephesus, I'm going. <laughs> and now they are within your care. You won't see me again. Um, so, so, so we mustn't, so the apostolic team mustn't become like super pastors making all the difficult decisions for the local church, but neither must they abdicate responsibility when it comes to key uh, issues of accountability. And they must be at least visible to the church so that the church trusts them. Now, I know when I'm overseeing church, it doesn't mean I know every church member's name. Well, they all have tea with me. It's rather that you've been around them enough for them to say, and they've listened to your teaching and they've seen the way you act and so on, to say, we trust you. You can do that. You can do that from the front. You can do that from what you, how you conduct yourself after a meeting. The, the church say, yeah, we trust these people who are overseeing, sorry, overseeing, I've used that word again, who are holding our eldership team accountable. That's probably a better word. So, um, and then there are certain things where apostolic teams have to, now let, let me say, let's start that a different way, forgive me. Um, once an eldership, once you're planting a church, when you're planting a church, the authority for that church plant is in the apostolic team. Once an eldership is established, the responsibility for that local church is with the eldership team, but accountable to the apostolic team. Now, the apostolic team then serves by invitation of those elders, but there's an understanding that if there is moral failure in the eldership or even serious undealt with moral failure in the church, like in 1 Corinthians 5, or if there's financial malpractice, or if there's abuse of spiritual authority, then that apostolic team, because of its relationship with the church, needs to take action anyway, even if not specifically invited to. Because the invitation is implicit in the fact they've been said, yes, we're accountable. To. Because you, 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 and that protects. And so, you know, it's clear, John, when he wrote to that church, where Diotrephes was, he was abusing his spiritual authority. And John is pretty strong in dealing with that.
and apostolic teams. And we've had to do that within the New Frontiers family, where there's been abuse of a spiritual abuse of authority within a church. We've had to do that. And on one occasion, when there's been abuse of authority, going back a number of many years now, when there was abuse of authority within an apostolic team, but they were part of the New Frontiers family, we had to take our responsibilities seriously. Well, it's, it's, it's again, it's this subtle balance all the time. You serve by invitation of the elders. Um, and I, I meant to give four things financial uh, malpractice, moral failure, abuse of authority, and heretical teaching. Now, the church may say, we're not going to receive you on that and trust their, oh, okay, you have to part company, but you have to do your best under all those circumstances too. Mm. And there, yeah, so there, I can I can see that, that there's a, a relationship between, um, there's an emphasis that the elders need to be inviting spiritual authority into the church, but there's a safety for the church that even if they're not inviting them um, on those specific things, um, the apostolic team will take responsibility for bringing some authority uh, where needed for the safety of the church. Um, I can understand that. I can see how that would be really helpful for people. Um, what, what, um, what else would? You, where else would you take these sorts of comments? What else would you think is important to help people understand in getting this balance right? I mean, there's a few other little things. So, for example, Paul gave people time. So when he was writing to the church in Corinth, he said, well, you know, I, I, I may have to come to you again and deal with this, but I'll give you time, you know. Uh, that allows time for change. It falls also, his spiritual authority arose, uh, derived from his integrity of lifestyle that they saw. So he says, my ways in Christ. Mm. Not just my teaching, and people and churches need to know what you're like. He also talked about the fact that they were written on his hearts. Okay, you are written on our hearts, he said, and that's how I feel in relation to churches I've been serving. Even if I don't know them that well, they're on our hearts. Also, personal vulnerability, without going into victimhood, is important. So Paul was very open about his struggles with the church in Corinth. He might say, come on, Paul, you know, don't, you know, his full speech, which goes on for a couple of chapters about all his weaknesses and that sort of thing. Vulnerability is important, but not, not, I'm not saying the modern victimhood where everyone's a victim of something, you know, but it's, uh, it's important. So these are some of the other things that give you spiritual authority also make sure you're only doing it within the sphere god's given you so that applies obviously apostolic ministry in terms of churches that are relating to them but it also applies i've known things go wrong uh, in churches not in this country actually but uh, across in different parts of the world where the pastors or the elders actually eldership team in this case that i'm thinking of were seen as experts in all sorts of things and they would give advice on their you know, and where to invest your money and all that sort of stuff. What mm. went badly wrong in one church I was serving in another country uh, where a lot of people lost a lot of money as a result. Mm. And so, you know, that's not your... You're there to care for their souls, not there 
I mean, people, I still get this because I used to be a banker, you know, 40 years out of date. Um, people sometimes ask me things. So no, no, that's not, you need to talk to a financial consultant about that. You know, I'm not going to do it. But presumably you could if you wanted because you you have the knowledge, but you choose not to. Is that almost what you're well, saying? Well, my knowledge is out of date, but even when it wasn't out of date, yes. I felt it was compromising my spiritual authority in a way that I was I need to be careful not to exercise it in a now you can you know mates around the pub might discuss things like that and that's fine if you're one of them do you know what I mean but it mustn't be attached to your spiritual authority your spiritual authority relates to what goes on within the church and the care for the people who are in the church that's very helpful I, I mean, I, I, I love all of this. It's so important. It's, it's so refreshing as well to be reminded that this is where authority comes from. It does take these te- this, the, these themes and these things are important. Um, you know, time, um, looking at people's lifestyles, checking them out. And I often say this to people in, on, a, on a local church level. People will come to church for one week and they'll say, this is a great church. Um, I, can I join? And I always say to them, "Well, wait, take your time, yeah. get to know us, yeah, exactly. decide if decide if you think you actually can trust yeah. us, yeah, exactly. and if you actually do want to receive us." Because joining a church has very is very little, I think, to do with can you tick all of these boxes, but are you willing to give yourself heart and soul to these people yes, and submit yourself to these leaders? Yes. And that's that's something that. So let's talk about submission to leaders then, and submission to and joining local churches and. How important is and what does it look like and how do you get it submission to leadership and for someone to have authority they they need to exercise authority to make decisions on behalf of other people which then requires other people to submit so it does put them in a vulnerable position because they're going to be led somewhere and it could be up the garden path or it could be off a cliff or it could be into a promised land. Um, So what are some of your reflections on that? I think where this trust submission is almost the um other side of the coin okay so it's trust in leadership so when 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 it's when and then uh submission and and the way the bible talks it so their work may not be a burden but a joy because that is obviously relating to the people's spiritual growth so i'm not looking for people to submit to us i don't like to say me because it's plural submit to us over practical things of life which are their responsibility it relates to their growth in the lord and it relates to the direction the church with all the safeguards is that we've talked about is going in and where this trust largely i don't find a problem with people's submission although obviously it must be there must be a danger because otherwise the bible wouldn't exhort people to <laughs> submit to your leaders mm. um but it's similarly in a family you know wives and children submit wives submit to your husbands but husbands love your wives as christ loves the church if you don't get them both yeah it's not a happy marriage is it no that's very helpful and the people need to need to trust in order to submit yes. but how do you how do you learn to trust someone well someone has to prove themselves to be trustworthy, trustworthy and, that- and demonstrate they love you demonstrate they care for you demonstrate they want your best yeah but within that submission still applies and then that that is an issue of a step of faith actually 
So there's always going to be faith and risk involved, isn't there? Because because ultimately we are trusting sinful people. Exactly. Um, and that's where I think you keep you keep emphasising us, we, plural. So would you say the plurality of elders and the plurality of leadership team is, is very important? Very, very important. I mean, I wouldn't just appoint a single elder. Even if there aren't any other people ready, I'd say, okay, well, let's have a leadership team that's not got yet full of eldership authority, you know. And a lot of these things that we're talking about, spiritual authority, church government, governance, and, and the issues that come with them, we've obviously from where I sit in the Western world, I, I see this playing out in my culture and context, but you, you're exposed to a lot broader part of the planet and cultures and churches. So um, are there common issues across cultures are there uh, particular things that one culture would be more susceptible to than another or is, is this something what 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 okay which i guess a lot of the answer to those questions will be yes there are common things because because of sinful nature but my question is what are some things perhaps in england and in the west that we really ought to be trying to learn from non-western cultures on on these sorts of things yeah my experience and i often say this is that Unless you're careful, most leadership models in the church follow the leadership models of their culture. So if it's a top-down culture, leadership in the church is top-down unless it's exposed to the sort of things we're talking about. In the West, therefore, the denigrating of leadership sometimes, I mean, there's been, there's two tendencies at the moment, aren't there? There's the, there's the big, strong man desire, the populist way, which is, come back into the West over the last 10 years or so and populist and nationalist and so on. And then there's the despising of authority and so on. And uh, you got, uh, and, and stopping people making decisions and so on. So you've got, you've got both those things now in the West. Uh, whereas at one time you'd have said it was more rebellion against authority. Whereas in other parts it's dominant authority. So you've got to look at the culture, see where that is a stronghold and see how leadership develops differently according to a New Testament pattern. And I've had to do that in the Russian-speaking world where it's a top-down authority structure, but we've seen wonderful teams established in churches. And it requires a real wisdom then to be able to critique your culture from the vantage point of the values that you see in scripture not just wisdom but like a deliberate intention isn't there to say we want to be governed by the, the spirit of this book no that's right that's right and i suppose again that takes that takes time it takes out output outside input you know people like yourself it's people from outside the culture entering the culture to receive it whereas perhaps in the in the west we've not been as good as good at allowing other people from other cultures and contexts to genuinely critique and speak absolutely into us. i mean we need we need other cultures you every culture needs a witness from outside of itself in my view in the christian context which is actually the words of a respected sri lankan theologian but very very helpful it's mm, really helpful and i i know um we were both at cyprus together randy mcculloch talked a bit about this but his 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 exhortation and reminder that Ephesians was was written to a group of churches and therefore when it talks about maturity is talking about the whole church and the need for the, a global perspective, the need for the West to be critiqued by the East and the, the South and uh, Latin America and places.
Yeah. Uh, is there anything else on your heart and mind just as we come to come to draw our conversation to a close? No, I think that's I think that's been I think I've discharged what I want to say. I realise I haven't given pat answers, but it's it's where you have to hold the balance of scripture. Yeah, it is. And, and David, I'm so, so grateful for your time today and for all that you're doing. Um, an inspirational leader and uh, a man who no doubt is going to leave a great legacy in the body of Christ. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs>